Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Your official station to talk Yankees. The Fan, 1019 FM and always live on the free Odyssey app. Download it today. I'm a first real six string Boy, it at the five and done Played it till my fingers bled Was a summer of 69 Me and some guys from school Had a band and we tried real hard Jimmy quit, Jody got married Should've known we'd never get far Ed Creamful, a 1969 World Series champion with the New York Mets, the Miracle Mets, a lifetime New York Met, and now the author of The Last Miracle, My 18-Year Journey with the Amazing New York Mets, joins us on the fan. So, Mr. Creamful, why was it important for you to write this book now, at this point? Well, at this stage of my career, uh, everyone that was associated with the Met organization back in the 60s is gone. Ralph Kiner was the last participant, and he passed away a few years ago. So I said, I'm the only one that can talk about players from 62 and had uh, was able to play with them. So I figured that this is a good time for it. Yeah, you know, I, I read every single letter, every single word. So let's, let's dive through it a little bit. Um, you know, it was a whirlwind start to your lengthy 18-year career with the Mets. You graduated high school. On the same day, you negotiated and signed a contract with the Mets. 48 hours later, you're on your first plane ride to Dodger Stadium. Can you just describe what that was like for us? Well, for me, it was a lot of excitement because I had never been out of the Bronx uh, on a plane and never traveled uh, across the country. So uh, I was excited to jump on the plane, go to California. Little did I know the traveling secretary would pick me up, take me to the ballpark. And the opening night, Koufax pitches a no-hitter and strikes out 13. And I said, this is going to be a long, tough career. And I was right. And so was Casey. This is going to be tough, he said. You wrote about Gil Hodges and his influence on you as a young player. Um, who would you say was your biggest influence as a young man? Was it Hodges? Well, it had to be because he was the first one that met me at the ballpark. And he taught me how to play first base and taught me the fundamentals of the game. So I was very fortunate to have one of the best uh, at it, able to do it. And uh, we worked hard. And then uh, he became the manager of the Washington Senate as he left the Mets. So I lost my protege. But uh, the thing is, I knew enough about first base by then that I was able to use it fundamentally. So I was able to go on the field by myself. And then we acquired him in a trade in 1968. I was there. 
still after seven years of losing 100 games and he took over and um, he was our manager and he's a tough manager no question about it but we were all able to play under the same set of rules most managers change rules for different players he had one set of rules for 25 players and i liked that and on you know on page 134 i took a note um you wrote um, I knew I would have been a better player had they kept me in the minors for a few years right from the start. I would have been a better player because I wouldn't have exposed myself to the fans of New York right away. So even still today, I feel that that's still, you know, prevalent. So what was it or what is it about the New York fans that make it so tough to play here? Well, the fans are not tough. It's just a matter of you being able to perform. They expected a lot from myself. They wanted me to lead them to the pennant. And one player doesn't do that. You learn that with experience, that you need a team around you to surround yourself with. You get better pitches to hit. You have better selection on your own part so you can do better. I improved uh, under the circumstances, but not enough, you know, for the fans to accept me as the superstar. I mean, I hit 260, 270 against Koufax and Drysdale at 17, 18 years old. That wasn't good enough. You know, they expected me to hit over 300. Ball club built me up for that. And I didn't perform when I was in the early 20s. Finally, late in my 20s, I did hit 300, 323. I hit 292. I started to really catch up with the league and uh, had some good years. But by that time, people thought you were ancient. You were around a long time. You know, you should have been better long before that and and they got frustrated but meanwhile i kept chugging along and led the league in pinch hitting five years in a row hit over 400 set an all-time record as a pinch hitter but that's not fun you want to play every day i didn't stay around long enough for the uh, uh the new rules that came in and i could have been the designated hitter and got four at bats and it would have been a lot better we're talking with Ed Crapel, lifetime New York Mets, joining us on the fan. Um, what qualities does a player need to have to play in New York, just in general? Well, you just have to perform consistently. And if they expect you to be a star, you've got to be a star every day. They don't accept failure. They're very difficult on you. We had guys like the Simon and nothing better to do but make up signs negative about the players. And that's that affects you when there's 50,000 people in the fan in the stands. And they got a guy standing, a jackass standing up and, you know, holding a sign that's negative. So the fans start reacting. And, of course, it makes it difficult to play when you're still young. And by the time we won a pennant in 69, I was only 25. We won again five years later in 73. I was only 30. But people thought you had been there so long and you had been. But, uh, you know, it's very frustrating. Uh, to me, it seems like in the beginning, you, you chose the Mets over the White Sox and even the Yankees, a kid from the Bronx, because you felt you had the best opportunity to make the roster with the Mets. Looking back years and years later, was it the right choice? Well, I don't know whether it was the right choice. It was my home. New York was my home. The Yankees was my favorite team back growing up. But I thought the opportunity to play in the major leagues was worth it. And I took it. Little did I know it was going to be in the major leagues in two days. That's a little tough for a 17-year-old. Most guys, if you look around the league now, are going to college and playing four years after college. You know, and then they get an opportunity. I got it real young, got thrown into the fire. I was the one player that was there from the beginning, and it was very difficult for myself to accept playing against these guys. Remember, you have to learn against the best. 
These are all Hall of Famers I was facing. Sandy Koufax, Drysdale, Bob Gibson, Juan Marichal, Gaylord Perry, Steve Carlton. Every one of them in 62 was a Hall of Famer, you know, and they were going to be. So it was very difficult, but I had to make the adjustment. I stayed 18 years, which was a long time, and I could have played longer, but I chose. When the Mets went down to the bottom again, this was not fun anymore. It wasn't fun in the beginning. It wasn't fun at the end, so I retired. Ed Creampo, 1969 World Series champion with the New York Mets, joins us on the fan. Uh, and I love the line you wrote uh, one, on page 118. It said, in a season of miracles, the inches were with us. Fast forward to 1969 now. Of all the miracles in that season and in that World Series, the AG catches, the Swoboda catch, the miracle. Which miracle do you think? was the most, I guess, unbelievable throughout that season or in the World Series? I think just getting there was a miracle. You know, we were in last place halfway through the season. We got hot. We got the 500. And after that, it was all downhill for the rest of the league. We beat every ball club we had to coming coming into the pennant race. And we beat Chicago every time we played them. So they were the ones that were tired at the end. We were strong and fresh and able to play. What did winning the World Series in 1969 prove to New Yorkers? Well, it proved that young players could play together and, and, and win. And they still talk about it. 60 years after the fact, everyone was at the ballpark. Everyone grabbed some grass. Everyone had a good time. And it's probably the one World Series that stands out. You know, maybe the 29 Yankees do. With Babe Ruth, obviously, a great team. But if you ask anybody else, name a World Series, they'll they'll tell you 69. They were all there. The stadium only held 54,000, but I think it seems like millions were there. How cathartic was it for you? You you talked about the losing already, but how cathartic was it for you personally to win after all of that losing for all of those years? Well, it's something you'll never forget. Once you play um, baseball, when you play it for a living professionally, winning's the most important thing, and getting into a World Series was tremendous. We fell back a little bit after we lost Gil Hodges and replaced him with Yogi Berra. We win the pennant in 73 if Yogi's not the manager. He doesn't pitch Tom Seaver short-rested in the sixth game. I've said that all along. We should have pitched George Stone, who was 12-3, and three, pitched great for us. We pitch him on Saturday. We don't have to win that game. Yogi couldn't figure that out. He thought we did. And we had a pitch receiver short rested. We should have saved him for Sunday. If we lose on Saturday, George Stone loses. He had won seven straight. There's no telling what would have happened. We probably would have won the pennant on Saturday and gone home. Instead, we got to stay around, play again Sunday. We're dejected. We've lost our ace. And we come back second rated. And, and Matt Lack didn't have it that day. And we lose. We should have won the pennant in 73. Was there ever a conversation between Seaver and Barra? And Seaver said, hey, hey, Yogi, I've never pitched on short rest. Have you ever asked a superstar pitcher whether they want to take the ball? Yeah. They're not going to say no. Nobody's yeah. ever going to say no that they don't want the ball. Seaver was tired. He talked to the players about it. We all knew he was tired. Once he took the ball on Saturday, he was giving it his best effort, and he pitched a good ball game. It wasn't good enough. A little bit extra rest. Might have been the difference on Sunday if he, he went out on Sunday. We're not saying he wasn't a good choice. He wasn't our best choice. We didn't have to make that choice. The Oakland A's had to make a choice. How do they win on Saturday before they go home? We didn't have to. We could have stayed out there all day Saturday. And if we lose, we lose. 
we come back Sunday with Tom Seaver, the best pitcher in baseball. In 1969, too, you hit the home run in game three. As you're circling the bases, it was it was home, right? What images were flashing through your mind as you're running around the bases over there? I, I think your whole career flashes in, in front of you because, you know, this is the one thing you've been trying to get to, the one area you're trying to play in. Now you're in it, you do well, you hit a home run, and you know what? You don't need the manager at that point to shake your hand or pat you on the back. You're sky high now anyway. You're ready to play. Did you did you touch the bases as you went around? Did you feel the ground? I don't know. I, I don't know. You don't remember, but I'm sure you did. You touched yeah. them. Everyone's watching you. You're having a good time. And it was great. And, of course, people never forget. And then when you walk around New York, you're an icon in New York. They still remember 69. It was a great feeling. I know you had some fun at Caesars Palace out in Vegas, some TV show appearances. What was the coolest thing you did in that offseason after the 1969 World Series? Well, we did a lot of crazy things. We did Ed Sullivan. We did Las Vegas. Las Vegas was fun. I mean, we thought we were entertainers. We thought we were highlighters. We were up on the marquee in Caesars Palace, and we performed up there. We were the second leading drawer. It was a lot of fun, but we didn't stay around. When they asked us to repeat and come back for another couple of weeks, we didn't do it. We knew we weren't uh, entertainers. <laughs> um, yeah, there's something that struck me because I'm a, I'm a numbers person. You said you pointed to the record in one run games. Why is a team's record in one run games the best indicator of how good a team is? Well, you got to be good defensively to be in those close games. You're always playing well defensively. We're in the ball game because of our pitching. So if we're staying close, we got a chance of winning those. So when you're in the one run games. You know, it's something that, uh, you know, something you'll be proud of. You're in the games. One run or home run or something ties it up, puts your head. You know, you can win. So that's what you want. You don't want to get killed by five runs. Or so you're, ne that's a, you're never going to be close at that point. Ed Cranepool, the author of The Last Miracle, My 18-Year Journey with the Amazing New York Mets, joins us on The Fan. How did you – a tone, a theme that I got from your writing was – this theme of, you know, overcoming adversity, of being benched, pinch hitting, playing every day. Um, what was it like to overcome that? Well, it was difficult. Most people want to play every day. Everyone that goes on the field expects to play and wants to play. Gil Hodges had to convince 25 players on the ball club. We had basically the same guys all year. It was in the best interest of the ball club to platoon. And he did that the whole year, good or bad or whatever. He didn't know he didn't change. So we knew what was going to happen in the playoffs in 69. You know, we beat the, the Atlanta Braves. The left-handers did very well. We scored a lot of runs. The pitching was terrible for us. They didn't do well. Atlanta scored a lot of runs. And comes the World Series, the lefties don't even play because after we beat Atlanta, we all sit down. He was returning and he played the right-handers. And we struggled the first two games. Didn't score any runs. The most runs we scored was the third game. The left-handed hitters went back into the lineup after sitting for two days and beat Jim Palmer and the Baltimore Orioles seven to nothing. That wasn't a close game anymore. So it's not a one-run game. The other games, the righties went back in and they struggled all the time. You wrote on page 70, you were sick of the losing, sick of the culture of losing, sick of watching some of the guys accepting it. Uh, what does that look like at home? I know, I know what it looks like in the clubhouse. What does it look like at home? 
Well, you know, you don't want to talk about baseball anymore. You've had enough of it, and especially when you see guys getting long-term contracts, not performing, ball club playing poorly. That's a horrible thing to accept. And you know what? If you do it once, you don't want to do it twice. You know what it feels like, and it's a long day at the ballpark. Gil Hodges was your manager. You called him – I'm getting two things from him. You called him a baseball god that you wanted to please, and you also wrote, I knew Hodges didn't want me on the club. I felt like I was screwed and unwelcome at the same time. You even wrote that you even maybe wanted to quit. How could you describe or define your relationship with Gil Hodges? Well, because you have tough times with him. He's a tough manager. He didn't change his rules. You have to adjust to him. And until you do that, it's very difficult. I had tough times with Gil. Every player does. But he doesn't embarrass you in front of the, um, the press or anything like that. He keeps it in his front office. You go into his office, you sit down, and he tells you how you have to play. You either play his his way or you hit the highway. I stayed around. I, 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 I chose to play his way and wanted to stay there. And when I came back through adversity, I, I did well for him, and I was playing every day, and then he passes on. So that was bad timing for myself to have Gil lose Gil. And now we lose our manager. And Yogi was a great guy. Personally, I dressed alongside of him for 10 years. I got along real well with him. But, you know, you have to make rules and it has to be led. Somebody has to lead that. And, and of course, it's usually the manager that's going to lead everything. You know, everyone knows what's going on in the manager's office. You had a lot to say about Joe Torre in your book and being in the New York market. Of course, it piqued my interest. Um, not a lot of nice things to say about Joe Torre. Um, and you kind of finished with uh, when the Mets parted ways with Joe Torre at the end of the year and proved he couldn't manage. I wondered what took them so long. So I guess my question is, how would you explain away the Yankees dynasty Torre years? Well, I, I would call it the Jeter and Mattingly and that whole group of guys that were over there. He took over a great ball club. And I think uh, Joe Palooka could have managed the Yankees during the, you know, the years that Joe had him. I mean, uh, he had some problems and uh, I'd rather not talk about him. I mean, it's personal problems, but uh, he did a good job when he took over the Yankees, but it was a great ball club. And you guys haven't talked since? No, I, I think one time I said hello to him, but uh, that's after being his roommate and seeing him take over the manager's job. But, uh, you know, you don't have to be friends with everybody. Yeah, and um, I, I obviously, a Yankee tone here too. You said in the beginning, I really idolized Mantle. He was my favorite player by far. I imagined myself playing with Mantle as a teammate one day. In your careers, I looked, they did overlap by seven, really six years. Right, and I could have played with him. I, I played against him in spring training. We had a great time. I've gotten plenty of autographs from uh, Mickey Mantle. He was a great player and was my idol. I was a Yankee fan through and through. But obviously, I converted to a Met fan, and I moved to the Mets. I wish this year would have been turned out better for them. I wish they would have been competitive, but they weren't, and it's been a tough year. Like, did you ever try to maybe say, like, hey, you know what? I'm done with the losing. I'm going to go to the other New York team. Not really, because they've had some tough times also. You know, baseball is changes. Every year is a new year, and you just got to go out and play. After your your playing career, what, how were you hoping or looking or even expecting to stay involved in the team? Well, I, I was hoping when the Balco was ready to be sold, I was going to be part of a purchasing group with Bob Applemap. And unfortunately, uh, Mrs. Dearley, who was uh, Mrs. Payson's daughter, she chose to pick her own friends, uh, social people, and uh, they bought the ball club and they had it for all those years. There was no opportunity at that point. So... 
just have to pass you by and just go on to something else. And uh, right now, I'm just enjoying life, having a good time. I wrote a book. I hope people enjoy it. They go out. It was from, you know, my personal thoughts about my career after 18 years. And it uh, seems like people are liking it. They're reading it. So let's let's keep on uh, getting those people out there. Ed Crampo, my last miracle, my 18-year journey with the Maze in New York Mets. And you seem very into the, the scouting and everything, too. How might the front office and how might the trajectory of the Mets been different had you been part of the front office? Well, when I retired, I, I I really wanted to go into the front office. I never wanted to manage a ball club. I didn't want to participate with the players. I didn't want to deal with them. I didn't mind dealing with them at contract time, and but now it would be all agents and stuff. Things are different. When I retired, I was ready to, to go into the front office and, and be productive to the ball club. I wish I would have had an opportunity. I think they would have had a better chance at winning some pennants. And that these are all stories that are in his in his brand new book. Um, we fast forward to two current day Mets questions I got for you. Go ahead. You're a homegrown first baser. I know you played some outfield, but most of your games were at first base. Um, should the Mets keep or trade their homegrown first baseman, Pete Alonzo? I wouldn't trade Pete. He's the only offense the Mets have right now. He's a great hitter, very strong, and he's willing to play every day. And he gets hurt. He still plays, so he's the guy I want on my ball club. Your number seven or twenty-one, even isn't yet retired by the Mets, which is crazy to me. Um, your thoughts on Doc and Daryl's numbers being retired? Well, they were outstanding players for the '86 Mets, and unfortunately, both of their careers were shortened because of drugs. And there's no telling how good either one of these boys would have been. And they're great players, good friends of mine. I wish them both well, and I'm I'm happy for them that they're going to get some recognition as the stars of the 86 Mets. And you next. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Thank you. And during the losing, the $100 fine for going to Disneyland, the craziness of changing batting positions all the time, the inconsistency in the playing time, dealing with managers you didn't see eye to eye with at all times, they, res they rescinded a contract to you by the time you got home. Mr. Cranepool, why were you so loyal to the New York Mets? Well, the only thing I wanted to do was play baseball. I wanted to play every day and do well for a ball club. New York was my home. I enjoyed playing here. I never wanted to leave and never did. I played 18 years here. Why? Or what are you hoping that the reader takes away from The Last Miracle, my 18-year journey with the amazing New York Mets? Well, the, some of the miracles, you know, was winning the World Series, but I also had two physical uh, problems in our family's life. Uh, myself, I had a new kidney put in. That's been working well the last four years. And my wife had pancreatic cancer. Here's a woman I'm married to for 40 some odd years. And uh, she comes down sick and you can't do anything about it. But I was very fortunate to find a doctor in Miami. So these are things that are part of your life and never going to go away. So we just hope that we're both healthy and enjoy our life. And the Wilpons help with that. Yes, they did. Fred Wilpon was a gentleman. He solicited a doctor that I found in Miami, and uh, we went down to see him, and he was the one doctor that could perform the Whipple surgery on my wife, and he saved her life. So I'm forever grateful to uh, Fred Wilpon. Mr. Cranepool, once a Met, always a Met. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Ed Cranepool's The Last Miracle, My 18-Year Journey with the Amazing New York Mets is available wherever books are sold. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. 
And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.